Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. When it comes to clothes, having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits your life seamlessly with quality you have to feel to believe. Whether you're stocking up for any weather or picking up a special gift, you'll find an impressive selection of staples to choose from. So whether you're on the hunt for a heavyweight hoodie, a fleece jacket, or a hardworking pair of warm sweatpants, American Giant has what you're looking for. Each American Giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop Wear Anywhere Closet Staples at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your order when you use code ANYSTYLE24 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Promo code ANYSTYLE24. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your host. We're at the interview part of the show. Today is joining. Uh, today joining me is uh, author Rick R. Reed. Thank you for being here, Rick. You're very welcome, and thank you for using the full Rick R. Reed name, which <laughs> is kind of important because there's another author who uh, is called Rick Reed and who writes somewhat similar stuff. Um, our paths cross sometimes, and people get us confused and. It's lovely when someone says, oh, I love your work, and I, I love this book, and they named something that he wrote. So it's always, I always appreciate when they use the middle initial. Uh, yeah, I've learned that the hard way, because I'm I'm in the same boat. I have uh, uh, books out, and I have to go under Alan R. Warren, because there's an Alan Warren that, well, he's a foot doctor, but he has a lot of books out. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't write about feet, but... Um, yes, you know he, I'm not going to make any jokes about putting your foot in it or anything. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it all, uh, but uh, yeah, well, he started before I did, so by all means. Um, but no, when I write about uh, you know murder and true crime, so this is a uh, uh, feet doctor is kind of different, but that's good. Um, Rick, so this is an interesting book you've got. It's coming out. Uh, the launch date is July twentieth. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, the man from Milwaukee, and and so this is um, wow. Uh, are you a true crime fan? Is that how you got to write this sort of story, or, or incorporate Dahmer into it? I am very much a true crime fan. Um, like out on my runs, uh, which I do regularly. Um, often, I'm either listening to disco music or I'm listening to true crime podcasts. And I've, I've always loved um, true crime and reading books and listening to podcasts and documentaries and stuff like that. Um, the criminal mind, uh, for some reason, <laughs> and serial killers in particular, have a fascination for me. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so now, uh, now Dahmer's incorporated in this. Um, what made you uh, this is a big question or it's kind of maybe it's kind of too mu- too much here but i was going to say what made you write this book um was there a particular reason or something that happened that sparked this sort of um idea of a book well um i do the book takes place in ni- july of 1991 which is when jeffrey Dahmer was first arrested so um, my main character is a, 
a closeted young man in Chicago who um, reads about his arrest and becomes kind of obsessed with uh, Dahmer and his story. And there's sort of a weird parallel between the two of them because my main character is so self-loathing of his sexuality that he sort of identifies with a serial killer, which is... um, you know, a very dark area. And he begins writing to Dahmer in prison. Um, and I suppose that that little tidbit there about him writing to Dahmer in prison was something, um, and maybe this is where the spark of the idea started all those many years ago. Um, my first novel came out in 1991, and it came out right <laughs> in July, which was the month, the same month Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested. And I was sort of high on my first novel, which was about a serial killer. It's called Obsessed. And, um, and, uh, I wrote to Jeffrey Dahmer in prison myself and, um, said, I would like to tell his story. I'd like to give him a chance to, you know, be, you know, be his advocate, not his advocate really, but but to allow him to speak, be a mouthpiece for him, I suppose, without actually letting him eat my mouth. Um, (laughs) But he never answered me. But maybe that's where the seed of the idea came from. And the whole, the book is kind of about um, having compulsions that we want to control and can't. And I think my main character translated his self-loathing to Dahmer's uh, compulsion to kill and compulsion to keep men with him. And so that's kind of where the idea came from. Wow. And it started, it started as a short story with just the main character reading about the arrest on, in the Chicago Tribune and he's on the L and, um, and when he gets home, he decides to write to Dahmer. And that's where the story ends. But I always thought, oh, there's so much more to this. And so this this year, I finally got around to expanding that story to book length. Yeah. Do you, do you think this is a, a, um, a good representation, like as in the sense of uh, there are a lot of people out there in the position of your character you know, of of uh, being in the closet still in 2020 in these times, and yet, mm-hmm. and yet, um, they, they they pick people in the news that they relate to uh, because there's something that they feel that person represents in themselves. Like you know, there's a connection. So even though that person is maybe an awful person, they feel a connection. Do you think that that, is, that, that goes on a lot more than we know? I, I think it probably does. I think anybody who's famous or infamous are, are, is going to attract, because they're so uh, notorious, they're going to attract uh, the public's attention, and the public is made up by a wide spectrum of people who... Um, might latch on to that person who's who's in the spotlight for various reasons, and uh, that's what happens in this book um, when he begins writing, and then he starts getting answers from Dahmer, and uh, and the tension sort of builds 
you know, where is he going to go with this? How inspired is he going to be by Jeffrey Dahmer? And uh, so... Uh, do you, so do you think that when you were writing this, did you want your uh, your character to be um, um, kind of... Uh, did, did your character want to become really close with Dahmer? Did he want to become friends? Yes, very much so. And, and, and he thinks they have become friends because of their letters. And, um, and he thinks he's probably one of the only people in the world that understands Dahmer. And so he believes that he's maybe like Dahmer's only friend. Um, and the interesting thing about this was I started writing it as I thought it was going to just be this kind of horrific thing, but it ended up being about a lot more than, than horror. It ended up being about redemption and, and healing and love and forgiveness by the end of the book. But I can't, <laughs> I can't go no. into a lot of detail without <laughs> spoiling it because I, I hope it's a page turner and, you know, people will be surprised at the twist it takes. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, 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 it's an incredibly interesting story. The, um, maybe this, um, well, when you wrote it and at the end of the, at the end of the time, someone goes out right now and picks up your book and reads it. What is it you hope they walk away with? Is there something in the back of your mind that you're thinking about that that, that they well, might get if, if i imagine myself on your therapist couch <laughs> i would go go with my uh gut and my first thought when you asked that question was i hope they come away with the power of forgiveness because that's that's really i think the lesson that comes through and i'm not I'm not, you have to read the whole book, right? because I'm not advocating forgiveness for horrible serial killers, although forgiveness can't be, I, I don't know that it can be qualified by, because forgiveness is really, uh, is for the person who's doing the forgiving rather than the person out there that needed, needs forgiveness. So... I, I I think the ultimate message is about forgiveness and healing. Right, right. Oh, for sure. And it is about the person that's been 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 hurt usually, right? Or or a victim. Uh, it's not it's, necessarily yeah. about the, the attacker, you know. So it's the only way you can uh, move ahead. And it's 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 a it's grace that that we can receive, and. Um, I mean, some people I've read about who have forgiven. Um, there's one, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, case of Dirty John, John Meehan. Um, there was a, a movie made about him, and there was a podcast oh, about right, him. right, right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly familiar with it, yes, yeah. Anyway, just to make a long story very short, in that, in that that's a true story, um, there's a... This is the greatest example of forgiveness I can imagine. Um, a mother in that story whose daughter was murdered by her husband. And the mother goes to see the, the son-in-law who killed his, her daughter in prison. She, and she testifies for him with a defense. And that to me was like, 
wow, I don't know if I have that. You know, okay. I, I don't know if I would have that within me to have that much forgiveness. But she she had such strong faith that she could do that. And I thought it was kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, so with, with this, do you think Jeffrey Dahmer was a real negative on the gay community? Um... That he was a gay I mean, serial killer. Like, did it? Do you think it? Do you think it? Something like that um, is used against the community. Well, I would hope not. I would hope that people realize that Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy and um, Larry Eiler in Chicago, if you're familiar with him, um, uh, Dean Coral in Texas, they're all ser- serial killers who would be considered gay. But I don't even know. Um, I would hope people wouldn't lump those fringe elements into what being gay is about. Of course not. Um, so I, I'm using Dahmer as um, how closeted people can come to um, hate themselves for who they are and yet feel compelled to want to express their sexuality and have an almost uncontrollable urge to do that as we humans do and how do you and to have that mindset how do i fight this and you know someone who's like my main character who's identifying with a killer because he he just thinks oh i understand where that's coming from and he probably didn't want to kill all those men he he just wanted them and this is a motive often ascribed to Dahmer is that he just wanted them to stay with him and he was trying to keep them. Hmm. So, so your main character, Emery Hughes, um, how did you create that character? Where does that come from? Is it someone that you've known before someone you've met? Is it some, uh, just a, a combination of people? Um, I'm always interested because, uh, being, more nonfiction, true crime in, in, in my writing, I always have real people. So it's, you know, I don't create characters. So in fiction writers, it always, it amazes me how you can create this person. Um, so where did he come from? Well, he's not modeled on like any particular person. Um, I suppose he comes, the very seed of him comes from, you know, my own, I mean, I didn't come out until I was 30. I was married to a woman. I have a child. And and I I really fought against being gay for, for a good part of my life. And so I understand that, that self-loathing, that unwillingness to accept who you are. So I think those feelings got put into my character. Um, and creating him... He, well, I mean, characters come to me very organically. Um, I just, you know, imagined this young man on, and in the first scene in the book where he's on the on the L going home from his boring, very boring nine to five job, and reading about the arrest of Dahmer. And I wanted to make him un, so unremarkable. I didn't want to make him extremely weird. I wanted to make him the kind of person that was sort of invisible, but no one noticed. 
but but he's harboring this actually kind of madness and he's but he's trying so hard to do what he thinks is right and there's another added layer of um his hatred for his his own homosexual side in um i bring in um the AIDS crisis, which was in 1991 when Dahmer was arrested, it was a death sentence. It was something that people really feared. And Emery's mother in the book is dying from AIDS, and it's due to a blood transfusion. But his relationship with her is is uh, you know kind of skewed because of his his feelings about his own sexuality and the gay community and so anyway I'm probably going on <laughs> <much more laughs> no, it's, to no it's all good i mean i just it's it's always interesting to hear the process you know i've had quite a few fiction writers on that have talked about their characters as if they're like their children they they become well, a very yeah. big part so do you feel the same way yes um, that's that's probably key to my whole process is creating characters that I come to love and care about, and then the craziness for people who don't write or create is that they become so real to me that they start doing things and saying things that surprise me, and and writing about them is as much of a journey for me as it is for a reader because I'm not always sure what they're going to do or say. I just have a general idea of where things are going to go. But once those people are real in my head, then they kind of take off. Hmm. So so do day-to-day events affect the mood of your characters? So, and, and this is this is what I mean. So, so in today, you know, currently there's, you know, uh, COVID-19 protests, there's mm-hmm. a dumbball president, there's all this stuff going on, right? And um, a lot of, a lot of um, rage and anger. So there's all that going on everywhere you look. So when that happens, and you have these characters uh, like this one in this book, this, this Emery, um, do they become dark as well? Are they affected by what happens to you? Uh, that's that's, kind of, that's an interesting question, but it's kind of hard to answer. Um, my initial response, I think what I immediately thought is when I write about things, I need to have a little distance from them. Um, so I have more perspective. Like right now, I just finished a new book and just... Um, signed a contract for it and and as I was writing it I thought and it's all set on this one particular Saturday night in a small town gay bar and it's about it's kind of delves into the lives of its patrons in each chapter but I was writing it and I was thinking oh god you know they can't do any of these things that they're doing in the book you know they're dancing they're flirting they're sitting shoulder to shoulder in a bar they're you know None of that could happen now. So I I found myself putting a note at the beginning of the manuscript to readers saying, you know, this is an escapist book and it doesn't reflect the reality of what we're living with right now in this time frame. So, um, yeah, so to get back to your question, I think what I... 
I think I won't be able to write about like the pandemic or our political climate or any of that stuff that's going on right now until it's a little more in my rearview mirror. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just find it interesting that if you have, um, you know, if the emotions of the world affect your writing. Well, I think they have to, to a degree. But um, what I try to do when I actually am writing is uh, I block all that out. And I sort of, uh, I think it's almost a form of self-hypnosis. I think I sort of go under and I go into the story very deeply. Hmm. It's almost like uh, conscious dreaming. Yeah. Do you well? So, do you cut yourself off of other writers when you're writing as well? Like, um, so, in your writing process, do you avoid listening to other writers or, or reading their books during that time? Oh no, no, no. No, okay. <laughs> no I, I, I'm inspired by other writers, and I, I'm always, I'm always reading, and um, I think I'm always learning either directly or through osmosis, um, you know, style and technique. And and I get ideas from other writers that I can make my own. And so, no, I, I, I eat up <laughs> other writers' work all the time. And it, I, I don't think it affects me negatively at all as a writer myself. Hmm. So who, who is Rick reading now? Uh, right now, I just finished um, Anything is Possible by Elizabeth Strout, who's a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. Um, her most famous book is Olive Kittredge, which won the Pulitzer Prize. And she writes about little epiphanies, small-town people, and she writes very kind of uh, novels that are very episodic in terms of delving deeply into individual characters in different chapters. And most of her books are like this. So I just finished that actually this morning. And she was part of my inspiration for the book I wrote about the small town gay bar that I mentioned because it goes deeply into a few different characters and how their lives change on this one particular summer Saturday night. Um, so... Hmm. Do you, so, uh, have you been writing? You've been writing. You said since '91, so that's almost 30 years. Um, what was what was your initial draw into writing? Like, how did you get into this? Uh, well, I mean, I was my first novel was published in 1991. Um, it was a new line of horror from Dell called Abyss. Um, and I was very, I felt very lucky to be part of that. Um, it was also uh, Poppy Z. Bright's an introduction to the world in that line, and Kathy Koja, who's also somebody I admire very much. Kenneth Lee was published by them. Den- uh, Dennis Etchison. Um, this, it was just, it was the editor of that made the line her baby, and there were like two years of these wonderful. Abyss books that came out and um, so but that was where I was first published but I've been writing all my life I can't imagine I mean I 
I can think about writing a short story when I was six and writing a play when I was in fourth grade and in fifth grade writing a serial story about a young girl being kidnapped and, and my teacher let me read it in installments to the class every day and they were just wrapped and I think that's what kind of molded me as wanting to be a storyteller or having to be a storyteller. So so your your preference is to writing horror. Um well I've written I started out in horror and I've written quite a and I do love horror. Um and I love horror that is um I I prefer the kind that's more grounded in reality like serial killers and and things that can actually happen because I think that's much scarier than a vampire or a werewolf, although I've written about those too. But those are more fun. Those are more roller coaster. The really disturbing horror, I think, deals with real life things, which is why I have fascination with crime and, and murder and serial killers and things like that, even though if you knew me, you'd know I'm, I'm nothing like that. People, I've had more than one person say, oh, you're so, I don't want to say meek and mild, but that's what they mean. You're so meek and mild, how do you write these things? Because I go into some pretty dark places in my horror. But I've also written um, a lot of love stories, too, so that's the other side of the coin. I was going to say it's the same thing. <laughs> um, they have a lot more in common than most people think about this flesh. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say. Um, so why haven't you ever delved into a true crime story then? Well, I'm a very uh, kind of... I would think that writing true crime would be you really need to be detail-oriented. You really need to do tons of very specific uh, kind of research and have a, a you know... A real discipline. I'm more a seat of the pants kind of writer where I have a general idea of where I know of where I want to go. And, and as I said earlier, you know, kind of letting my characters come to life in my head and letting them kind of take me where the story's going to go. Um, so writing nonfiction and, and true crime, as much as I like to read it, I don't know that. I really have the right kind of uh, mind for it. Because I kind of want right. to take so, off on tangents and, and go in different directions. And, and I don't know if I would feel kind of pulled down by facts and I have to stick with this. And Because I'd want to do it right if I were going to do it. But um, it, it, it yeah. seems like it would be kind of confining for me as a writer. Well, certainly, if you want to be creative with it, it, it it does make it more difficult. You can you can be creative with your style and maybe some of your wording or feelings about what you're writing, but it's tough to be creative about the characters when they are what they are. You know. Yeah, this is probably the first time I've written where a major true figure actually is part of a book, but. Somebody asked me when I, I I did a post on social media when I was writing it, and somebody said, oh, did the Dahmer family give you permission to write about him? And I was like, no, it's, it's not. It's, 
it's not a nonfiction book about Jeffrey Dahmer. It's about someone's reaction to Jeffrey Dahmer. It, it, you know, the only way Dahmer appears on the page is through news stories and through these letters. Um, but he's he's not a, he's not really a character in the book. He's an, a fixation and a representation of something to this person. But it was right. it was kind well, of interesting. You, you wouldn't need there. Well, you wouldn't need their permission anyway. No, not not when, not when no. they're a pub, they're a public figure. You know, you, you, there's a fair use. I think is what it's called. When someone's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as you're within uh, reality and you have some sources, uh, there's really nothing to stop you. Right. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of how it is. So, did you you didn't. Uh, did you research Dahmer any yourself? Oh yeah, I mean I did a lot of research, and and the, the book. I don't think this is a spoiler. The book, toward the end, it's uh, the end. The last chapter or two are motivated by him being killed in prison, and how that happened. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean I I wanted to make the details in the book ring true and I wanted to be sure they were correct so so I did a lot of going back to you know the old news stories from 1991 and the news stories when he was killed a few years later in prison and who he was as a person and who he was in prison and so that was all kind of you know that kind of research was quite fascinating for me hmm Pretty interesting. Um, so, what do you are you going to just keep writing this type, or are you going to um, branch off anywhere different in the in the future, or are you just going to keep sticking with this type of uh, crime fiction sort of? Well, it, it's whatever inspires me. I mean, as I said, I just the book I just finished and, and contracted uh, with the publisher for it was called Q, and it's about as I said, a small town gay bar. In, in Appalachia, and it revolves around one eventful Saturday night in the lives of patrons. So that's a completely different kind of story. It's a completely different kind of uh, uh, way I tell the story. Um, and then I plan on working on the next thing I want to work on is a ghost story that incorporates um, addiction into it. So it's, it's, uh, Kind of whatever sparkly thing catches my eye and sticks with me and kind of demands to be told. Is it, now, do you, what do you think of literature nowadays do you, and writing and stuff? Do you think do you think it's getting better? Do you think um, writing in in general is better in society now and, and and literature, or do you think it's a little less than what it was? Uh, a tough question. Um, there's certainly a lot more of it. Um, you know, our digital world has opened up, I think, a lot more uh, avenues for other voices to be heard. And some of the voices um, may be not, maybe <laughs> shouldn't be heard, but, <laughs> but um, not singling anyone out. Or, But um, we don't have... When I was first published, the only goal was get an agent and and find a a major New York publisher. That was that was it. 
And today you have a lot more options as a writer. Um, you know, a lot of people are self-publishing. A lot of there are a lot more small presses. So there's a lot there's a lot more diversity, a lot more voices. Um, which is a, it's a double-edged sword. It's good and bad because it, it removes some of the gatekeepers, which is, can be good, but it can also be bad because, you know, once in a while you can take a chance on something unknown and, and be rewarded, or you can be really sorry you um, delved into that because it is it has become so uh, open. But do I think it's getting better or it's worse than it used to be? I think it's the same. I think we, you know, there's always people who want to create, and and they do it in different ways, and they're influenced by their lives and what's going on around them, and that's always been true. So, hmm. so I would just I would say so, things are the same. Yeah, in that regard. Um, so now, do you have a website or something where people can come find you at? Um, I did have, well, yes, my website is Rick R. Reed Reality, and it's a, it's actually a, a blog. But I used to have a rickrreed.com website, but I found it was, <laughs> it was just so much work, and I wasn't really selling from it, so it became kind of a placeholder. And I found my blog was much more uh, interactive, and I, I updated a lot more. And, and it had all it has all the same information that I have on my website. So, Rick R. Reed Reality at Blogspot dot com is my website. Fantastic, and of course, people can find you all over social media. I'm sure. Yes, and again, going back to the. <laughs> Rick R. Reed, that's how you find me on yes. Facebook, facebook.com <laughs> slash Rick R. Reed, twitter.com slash Rick R. Reed. So if you just look for Rick R. Reed, you'll get me. If you look for just Rick Reed, you might get the Pittsburgh Pirate baseball player, or you might get Rick Reed, the, the previous in another life detective who writes, who does write crime fiction. Um, but if you stick with my middle initial, uh, you'll find me. And Grinder. <laughs> I am not on Grinder. <laughs> oh well, I'm always checking for people, you know, in case they, you know. Um, well, fast, fascinating story. Um, now, this is a great book. We're going to have it up on our website as well as. Oh, great. We'll put your blog spot up and and um, you know recommend it totally, and and hopefully it does well for you. And uh, thank you. Um, yeah, glad you could take some time and, um, and how was everything, is everything going good for you, um, with, has this COVID changed your, your life drastically or? Well, the life hasn't changed drastically because both my husband and I work from home. So, I mean, a lot of what we're doing is what we've always, what we've been doing for the past several years. So it's not all that different, uh, but we are missing a lot of things we used to have where, you know, I can't remember the last time we've gone out to dinner or gone out to dinner with friends or even gotten together with friends. It's pretty much, we're pretty much in our own little world now, which being an introvert is kind of okay with me, but I do miss, you know, for a while I, I 
I was always a gym go. I always went to the gym for probably 30 years. I always had a gym membership. I always went to the gym several times a week, and I had to cut that out. And it was, at first I really missed it, but after that, now I haven't been to the gym in like four months. I don't really miss it anymore. And, and, and I'm finding things that I, it's been a time of, uh, sorting out what was really important and meaningful in life and what maybe wasn't as important and meaningful as I thought it was. Yeah. You find out what's essential and what's not. But, oh, for sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you taking your, your time out of your day and, and, and talking today about your, your new book and uh, writing. Um, the book is called The Man from Milwaukee, and our guest has been Rick R. Reed. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Alan. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.